we will go back to the book of Romans, and they're going to, um, uh, Phil and, and Andrea, I think, are going to follow along on the screen, but I have chosen to actually, though I can see the words with great clarity like you can on the screen. For me personally, there is just something that is released in me when I just read the text right here out of the, out of the Bible. I know it seems old-fashioned. It may seem a little even odd to you, but just when I read it there, God just does something in me, so I'm going to go with what works for me. But along this vein, just very carefully, I want to take for just a moment of time the Apostle Paul's argument that he kind of picks up in the ninth chapter when he begins to distinguish between Israel according to the flesh and Israel according to the spirit, which includes the inclusion of the Gentiles. This is a subject matter that many of the other authors in Scripture did not write about, but the Apostle Paul, who himself called himself the Apostle to the Gentiles, seemed to have the greatest depth of revelation concerning the inclusion of the Gentiles because there is a distinction between Israel according to the flesh and Israel according to the Spirit. And I spent several weeks, many months ago, elaborating, and I don't have time to go back and regather all of that today, but it's important that we see it fresh again. And we're going to read beginning in the second chapter of the book of Romans, and I'm just going to kind of glean through some of these passages very quickly to bring you back to the precipice of Romans 11. But in the second chapter, the 28th verse, he said, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but is, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. I know our minds kind of, you know, we, we separate Jew, Gentile. When we think about Jews, we think about the, the, the Israelic people or the, the, national, the natural lineage of the children of Abraham. But Paul here is beginning to teach a principle that a Jew, a true Jew in, in the truest sense of the word, is not just one outwardly. Circumcision is not just the cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh, but it is in the heart, he's saying. It's, that's where the cutting away has to take place. Does that make sense? In your heart and in the spirit, not in the letter referencing the the law, but whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Paul begins to establish this principle concerning this Israel of the flesh. And there's a lot of that written in this 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter, but let me read the 12th verse of the ninth uh, chapter and been about this no distinguishing when once you're in the spirit there is the 12th verse of the 10th chapter says there is no distinction between jew and greek reminding you i'm reading from the new king james translation of the scriptures for the same lord over all is rich to all who call upon him Amen. it doesn't matter in the natural whether you are jew by by national heritage or Gentile, if you call upon the name of the Lord, God will do something powerful in your life. Come on, somebody. I love that next verse that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul establishes again that it, to God, in essence, there's no distinction if you call upon him in faith. And we're going to kind of reaffirm that in Galatians very quickly. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time expounding upon this until I arrive at my conclusion here. But let's just read this Galatians 3, the eighth, uh, the eighth verse says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed, not just those who are of the natural lineage of Abraham, but all nations. And so that was the gospel because the gospel is to whosoever will. 
Whosoever will believe, come on somebody, is a part of the gospel. So then those who are of faith, many times we think about God blessing ancient Israel and we think about his hand of protection. Many people perceive a hand of protection upon the modern day Israelis and the state of Israel. But here's a revelation for you and I that if you and I are of faith, whether or not you are Gentile or Jew, then thereby you are blessed with faithful Abraham. And God had blessed Abraham and promised that not only would he be blessed, but his descendants following him would be blessed. And in the 28th verse of that same chapter, he said this, There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, neither is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Come on now. And you are heirs according to the promise. That means God, you know, an heir is waiting, in essence, for an inheritance, a physical, perhaps even in our context, a spiritual inheritance. And oftentimes that is either an oral uh, promise or a written promise. And you and I have both an oral promise and a written promise. And I'm telling you, when God has promised it to you, he is faithful to bring it into your life. Because you are, again, in Christ Jesus. Let's go a little bit farther. In the sixth chapter is that phrase that, again, time does not allow me. And I probably on Wednesdays will expound more upon it. But I love this wording because only by reading it in its proper context. It's not speaking of the Israel according to the flesh. But it is speaking about Israel according to the spirit. And that's all true believers beginning first with Abraham. Running all the way through the lineage of faith in the old covenant to those that at the time of his writing that were first Jews and then also Gentiles we are being included all in one and here he says as many as walk according to this rule peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God now right the next cha- uh, couple of chapters over in the next book is really where Paul begins to focus his the revelation that God's given to him concerning the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant promises that God had first made to Abraham also also renewed that covenant with the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, but now he expands it to all who even are of the Gentiles who will believe. So let's read this together, and this is so exciting. I'm telling you, if you got any shout in you at all, it'll probably be awakened this morning when you read these next few verses with me. He said, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. That means that something has changed who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision that's made in the flesh. So what he's saying at the time of this writing, if you were Jewish and you were circumcised in your flesh, then you called anybody who wasn't uh, of a Jewish inheritance who had been circumcised, you called them the uncircumcised, which in essence meant you were a heathen. In their minds, it meant you were a heathen. So it said that you were called a heathen by that which was the circumcision. He said, and at that time, you were without Christ. Can you remember your life, what it was like when you were without Christ? Look what he said. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were not, uh, you were were a foreigner in that sense. You were a stranger to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that exciting? Come on, we were once, we were once way out there. 
we were uh, foreigners to these promises, but now we've been brought in. He himself is our peace. He's made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, it seems as Paul is referring to what was a wall that had been built in the court of the Gentiles and the ancient temple of Israel. The, the court of the Gentiles and the next uh, entrance where only Jews could go was separated by a large stone wall and there was one singular gate and there was a placard outside that gate that warned the penalty of death for any Gentile who might go through that gate into the gate where only the Jewish men could go and worship. But Paul, in his mind, is thinking about that separation because in this court could be Gentiles who really wanted to know God and worship God, but they were separated by this wall. But he said, in Christ Jesus, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That that wall was torn down. I'm talking about a greater tearing down than the walls of Jericho was that wall of separation that separated the Jews from the Gentiles Gentiles of those who were being circumcised in heart. He said, it's been torn down. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, which was the law of commandments, because the law could condemn, but could not deliver. It was contained in ordinances, and he created in himself one new man, hallelujah, from the two, and he made peace that he might reconcile them both to God, both because the Jews needed reconciliation as well. Because the Bible says God had looked on the hearts of all men and we all like sheep had gone astray. There was none righteous, no, not one, whether you were Jew or Gentile. But in Christ, God is reconciling the world unto himself, not just the Jew. He's reconciling the Gentile to himself as well. Amen. In one body through the cross and therefore he's put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. In essence, what he's saying, Jesus came first to those who were near. He said that himself. I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then he sent this gospel to all who were afar off. It wasn't just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus said it himself in John's gospel, I believe the 10th chapter. He said, I've got other sheep who are not of this fold, but God's going to bring them in and we're going to have one fold and one shepherd. Hallelujah. For through Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are, we've been singing, you are no longer slaves to sin. Look at this. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now, listen, if you, if you immigrate to the United States of America, hopefully legally, if you immigrate to the United States of America and you go through the process of immigration and you wait and the time is, uh, comes near to you that you are granted citizenship, when you are granted citizenship, you gain the rights, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, and the privileges and all the protections as somebody that was born in this country. Amen. You and I are no longer strangers and foreigners but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The whole building is being fit together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. 
Now let's go a little further in for seven verses because I want you to see Paul addressing this subject because it's going to help us create a little bit of separation in our understanding and then some greater clarification. And then all of a sudden the light's going to come on in many of your eyes. And I'm telling you, when that light comes on, you will never be the same again. For this reason, Paul said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, look at this, how that by revelation... He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly uh, written already. It seems to me that as Moses was chosen to go into the presence of God and gain the covenants of the law, it seems as if the apostle Paul was go- went into the presence of God to understand the doctrine of grace. Does that make sense? He said, I have a revelation. God has given it to me to understand this mystery. He said, for which when you read, look at this, here's his prayer. When you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Why is this important? Because this revelation uh, in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. That meant that Elijah did not know this. That meant that Isaiah, who gave us 66 chapters of a of prophetical insight, did not have the revelation that Paul did. Neither did Daniel, who saw visions and dreams. Neither did Ezekiel. Neither did Jeremiah when he wept over the city of Jerusalem and its destruction. They did not know of a great moment that would occur on the cross of Calvary. For there at Calvary, mercy there was great, and grace was free, and pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty because it was at Calvary hallelujah it was there that Jew and Gentile alike all deemed sinners before God could find peace with God hallelujah men that in ages and days gone by they didn't understand this but Paul said I have seen it and my prayer is that when you read it you will understand it he said it is now revealed to the apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. Now let's go for just a moment into the book of Romans, and there's where we'll abide until we complete for just a few minutes here today. If we can, we're going to go to this ninth chapter, so allow me to stay. I'm not going to expound greatly about Israel according to the flesh, but let me say this. The apostle Paul, in his writings, seems to differentiate between Israel according to the flesh and Israel according to the spirit. He is actually affirming a doctrine that John the Baptist first began when he was preaching there in the swirling waters of the Jordan River when the Pharisees were coming down and the Sadducees were coming down to hear him. Remember what John said? John said, think not because you are sons of Abraham. He said, I'm telling you of the stones God is able to raise up children unto Abraham, you need to repent. And Jesus himself in John's gospel, the eighth chapter, goes through a dialogue where he speaks about the natural order, the, de- the descendants of Abraham. And he even told those who were descendants of Abraham by the flesh, he said, you are not a son of God. Because he said, if you were a child of God, you would believe in me. And they couldn't understand the dialogue there. He said, you're, he said Abraham, if Abraham you were your father, you would believe in me. And he said, why? Because he said, Abraham saw me and he was glad. And you may say, well, when did he see 
Christ. He said they even were perplexed by that. And this dialogue is in the eighth chapter. And this, uh, their perplexity was that. He said, you're not, they, they responded. His critics said, you're not even 50 years old. And you said, you have seen Abraham. But when did he see, when did Abraham see him? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. It was on a mountain called Moriah with his son Isaac laid there. And the angel had just stopped his hand from taking a dagger and slicing into the chest of his son Isaac. And when the angel stopped his hand, the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes. And when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And when he did, he prophetically saw the day that Jesus Christ would be hung on a cross with the thick, come on somebody with a crown of thorns around his head and he would bow it there on the cross. He saw it and he was glad. And if you see it, you'll be glad as well too. Amen. And so he's saying that, he's showing that just because you are of the natural order does not mean you are of the spiritual order. In the sixth verse, he says in the ninth chapter, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Now notice here, you'll have to read this and let God expound this to you in your private devotions. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So see, that's what he's saying there. Just because they are of Israel does not mean they are all Israel. He said, For nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Because in Isaac shall your seed be called. Because remember, Abraham had a child of the flesh called Ishmael that God rejected. But he had a child of promise that he blessed. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not doing, being born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. I know I'm going very fast. Not of works, but of him who calls. As it is said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. He is affirming that God simply chose. God chose the lineage of Abraham and then in Abraham Isaac and in Isaac Jacob. And thus we are chosen by God. I don't know about you, but I live my life every day thanking God that I didn't choose him, but he chose me. Come on, it's according to election. God chose us. And so Israel, true Israel, are those who believe in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. In the 11th chapter, the seven th verses 1 through 7, and I'm about to narrow down the reading. There's just a few more verses of Scripture. We're going to kind of conclude in this 11th chapter, but let's look at this. I say then, has God cast away his people? Well, certainly not. Now he's referring again to Israel according to the flesh. He said, but I'm an Israelite. Paul is looking at his and national heritage that he was an Israelite of the flesh he said of the seed of Abraham and he said I'm of the tribe of Benjamin look at this God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah how that he pleads with God against Israel saying Lord they have killed your prophets they've torn down your altars but I alone am left and they seek my life but remember what the divine response was to him I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Y'all remember what God said to Elijah the prophet, but look at this fifth verse. Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So God said that all of Israel, not all of Israel is of Israel. Not uh, If they were of Israel, doesn't mean that they are all Israel. And in essence, he said that a lot of Israel is unbelief. So what we're gonna learn in a few moments, he then shifts to an analogy of the olive tree. And he said, if they don't believe like branches that are 
dried up and withered, God, come on, breaks them away so that he can engraft into the olive tree those who will believe. So this context here is about a remnant. So Paul said that not all of Israel has not believed, but there is a remnant who has believed. In the seventh verse, what then Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded. So there is a remnant of Israel according to the flesh that was, uh, that was in faith, that continued to believe, and that is the true Israel of God. And we Gentiles are grafted in. And this is where we're going to include, conclude our reading, and we're going to focus on the 17th verse in a few moments, but let's read it beginning in the 16th verse of the 11th chapter. The last of our reading, I know I've taken a long time to take you here, but that's okay. It's worth the journey. 16th verse, now if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Because God's not going to have an unholy tree, in essence is what he's saying, a family lineage, a family tree. If some of the branches were broken off, who are those that were broken off? Those who did not believe. And you, being a wild olive tree, we're going to talk more about this verse in a moment, so we're going to glean right over it, were grafted in among them. And with them you became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Here's the exhortation to us as Gentile believers by the natural heritage, joining the, the, the natural heritage of Jews who did believe, thus becoming one new man, the Israel of God. He said this, do not boast against the branches. Don't look at the Jewish believer with disdain. Don't mock or belittle or look down upon those who do not believe. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's true. Look what Paul said again, though. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. I'm telling you, if you don't receive anything from God, it's because of faith. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're going to please God, you're going to have to trust that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. And because of unbelief, they were broken off. You stand by faith. So don't be haughty. Don't be proud and boastful or arrogant. And especially don't look down on the Jewish people. That's the context in which he's writing. But here's a warning. If God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. I don't know about you. I made my mind up. I'm going to continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, look at this. You say, well, what about the Jewish people in the flesh? If they do not continue in unbelief. So what he's saying is if they will believe. If they don't continue in unbelief and they begin to believe in Jesus, because I read 1 John 5 said that he that has the Son has life, and he that hath not the Son does not have life. And so just being a natural heritage of Abraham does not grant one eternal life. You've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus who is the Messiah. The Bible says in John 1 that he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. 
So God, in his infinite wisdom, he created a means and a mechanism where he could reconcile the world to himself. First, the Jew who would believe, but also to include the Gentiles until God's just got one great big happy family. Come on, somebody. Let's read just a little further, and then we're going to allude to that 17th verse in closing. If they also are not, if they will not continue in unbelief, they'll be grafted in again. For how many know God is able to graft them in again? For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I'm praying that God would give a great revival of Jews to come into the faith of Jesus Christ and be regrafted into the olive tree. And I want you to pray with me as well. But I want to turn my attention in conclusion today to the life that the 17th verse contains. How my affection in my personal devotion has been upon that verse of Scripture. The depth of that verse. I don't know if you and I have really began to look at it adequately. There is something here that is such a mystery that is being revealed to us. That the apostle put this in context with Ephesians the second chapter. For here the apostle says, if some of the branches were broken off. And you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. And with them, you became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. What a powerful revelation that that holds. Because in our heart's mind, we think so often of the favor and the blessing of God that we saw in the old covenant beginning with Abraham and then continuing down in the lineage of faith for those who did believe. And I know there was a lot of apostasy and there was a lot of unbelief, but there was always a remnant. There was always somebody standing upon the word of God. God has never left himself without witness. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There was always somebody that was just being, you know, set uh, with their heart and their mind and the promises of God and reminding God of the word of God and being strong in faith and growing and maturing in their faith. And what it means for you and I is that as Gentiles in the natural realm, in the flesh, when we've been included into this spiritual olive tree, all those promises, those covenants, those things that we read about in Scripture, then you and I, when we read that old covenant and we read the Psalms like they, or like Jojo did this morning, then as we read that, then we are able to extract the life that is contained in those promises, that you and I are no longer strangers or foreigners to these covenant promises. But we are fellow citizens with full rights, full privileges. We can draw from the root. And not only do we have the root, but we also have the gospels and the epistles to complete the fullness of what God wants to do in our life. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by this? If you've got sickness in your body today and you have ever found yourself praying a passage of Scripture. In Exodus, the Bible said that God told Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, he said, I am the Lord thy God. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh 
Rapha. It is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. If you have ever prayed that prayer, even when you took medicine or you went to the doctor, if you have ever said, God, you're the great physician, then what you were doing was drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. If you have ever had a financial need in your life and you were just stretching your faith out and you were saying, God, your word says that it is the Lord thy God that gives thee the power to get wealth, that you may establish your covenant on the earth. God, you own the silver and the gold in the hills and the cattle on a thousand mountains. Every time you say that, you're drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree. Every time you say what I said earlier, I was young, but now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. I want you to know when I do that, I'm drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. Every time that I say with David, by my God, I can run through a troop. When the enemy is around me, I can say, God, as long as you're with me, I'll run through that troop and I'll leap up over a wall because of the power of God. I'm drawn from the, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? From the root and the fatness of the tree. Every time I lay my hands on my children or every time in prayer, I say, God, I bless Ashley and I bless Amber and I bless Anthony and I bless Austin and I bless Aaron and I bless Alyssa and I bless Matt and I bless Malachi and I bless baby Anna and I bless Sherry she's a fruitful vine by the side of my house and my children are as olive plants round about my table the enemy can't touch them God I call the favor of God upon them I call the blessing of God upon them I call the call of God upon them are you hearing what I'm saying every time I do that I'm drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree every time that I say God keep me from sexual sin let me be satisfied with the breast of the wife of my youth every time I say God I'm not going to drink from another man's well but I'm going to be satisfied in the relationship that I have with my wife I'm drawing from the root and the fatness of the tree every time that the enemy comes in one way and I say God you said when he comes in one way He's going to flee seven ways. I'm drawing from the root. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And the fatness of the tree every time that I'm going through hell and travail. And I say, God, you're a very present help in the time of trouble. God, you said you would lead me to a rock that's higher than I am. You would hide me in your shield of your holy hand, God. Angels would go in front of me. Angels would come behind me. Angels would be at the right hand. Angels would be at the left hand. I'm drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. Every time I say, God, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou will keep me, God. I thank God because I'm drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. Hallelujah. It's a divine revelation, church family, that you and I have been as Aaron joins me on the platform. It's a divine revelation that you and I have been grafted in to this covenant people and all the blessing and favor and goodness and wealth and riches and grace that God would show. The sons of Abraham, you and I can say with a full assurance of faith, God, by faith, I am a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of Abraham. You may have been going through a difficult moment in your life recently. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for the night. 
I texted somebody this morning that lost somebody, lost a loved one recently, and they're going through the travail of grief. And in my text, I quoted this word. I said, weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. And when I had the courage to write that text, I was simply drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. Isaiah said, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Church family, when you've ever prayed that prayer, spoken that over your life, you've drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. If you've ever said these words with me, and I know some of you have, if you have ever said, God is my refuge and he is my strength. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. If you say that, then you're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. See, every time you declare a promise from the Torah, or every time you gather strength from a psalm, or every time that you ask God for the wisdom of Solomon, come on, you're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. If you've ever found yourself confined and you said, God, take me to a spacious place like David, then when you prayed that prayer, you were drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree because God gave us promises, covenants, prophetical insight, wisdom, and knowledge. That middle wall has been torn down and it's now one new man. We are the Israel of God. We've been grafted in. Hallelujah. I don't know why our perception as believers is always so discontented, distressed. I have to believe that as believers, if we will keep in front of us what God said and hide it in our hearts, it will change our countenance. I really believe that. I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to pacify anything or I'm not trying to, uh, you know, make an argument that I cannot validate. I really believe in my heart of hearts that one of the errors that we have in the Christian church today is we have not been taught the accomplished, finished work of Christ on the cross and what he provided for us when that veil of separation was torn down, when that wall of separation was torn down, when God grafted us into the olive tree and God now calls us beloved. We are his children. Remember this series, Romans 8. He sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Father, Father. You know, this, even this revelation of being grafted into the olive trees, it's the final exhortation. We're going to pray together. Always, to me, it just kind of highlighted by the story of Ruth. Because the story of Ruth was, you know, about, I don't know, 60 to 80 years, even before the birth of King David. And I'm not going to preach all the context of Ruth today. But you can remember how that, that one Israelite, a Bethlehemite from the land of Bethlehem, the house of David, during a time of famine, had moved with his wife and his two sons to the land of Moab because of a famine. While there, he passed away. The sons passed away, but the sons married two Moabitess women. And it came time for a return. And Naomi, who was the wife 
of, a, uh, of the gentleman that had died had a daughter-in-law named Ruth who was a Moabitess by national lineage. Moabites worshipped a sun god. She was a pagan. But she said these words. She said to Naomi, she said, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. I'm telling you, God will look on the heart when man looks on the outside. You know, when she got back there, they were poor. They were kind of impoverished. They didn't have, they had sold their land and the possessions Naomi had and her husband when they left. So she went to work gleaning in the field. Y'all remember that story. It's a powerful story. I can't tell you all of it today. But, you know, she just rolled her sleeves up, got out there. She's gleaning in the field. But the story is that the owner of the field, Boaz, took notice of her. And through a little bit of conversation and with Naomi, it was ultimately determined that if she would kind of make herself available, he might marry her and provide redemption for their family. And that's how the story ended. And that is Boaz, the owner of the field, saw a servant girl out there working. And after several months, a relationship was formed. And on a fateful day outside the city gate, he negotiated for the right to marry her. Y'all don't y'all catch that. On a fateful day outside the city gate, somebody negotiated for the right to marry her. And when he did, I want you to think about that. The very next day, she could go back out into the field that she previously gleaned as a stranger, a foreigner, and a servant. And now, she could sit up on the hillside and say, that's my field down there. Because, oh my God, I don't know about y'all. But that just is the inclusion of the Gentiles in the covenant promises because when she married Boaz, she got all the rights of inheritance and she gave birth to a son who became the grandfather of King David. Let me tell you, God loved you and I and he has grafted us into an olive tree and God's given us promises and I want to encourage you, study this word, learn it, read it, meditate, pray it and when you do, you're drawn from the root and the fatness of the tree. I'm going to close today by an invitation. And that invitation is simply this. You say, Pastor, how can I be a part of this family that you're talking about? You have to be born into this family. But it's not a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you trust him with all of your heart, surrendering yourself to him, I'm telling you, you'll be added to the family of God. You'll be included in the covenant promises of God. You'll have every right, every privilege, every point of access that anyone in this room has to God. You will. You will have it. There'll be no respecter of persons with God. God will welcome any person that puts their heart and faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Can we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time? It's right after the noon hour, I know, and I've got to be conscious. Of